Welcome to episode 326 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. And if you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast that is perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. And on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing immutable OSs, what it is, and if you need it. Then we're going to be discussing, well, actually, Ryan, it's time to rise. I, I am risen. No. I'm, I'm Are you standing right now? You I can't tell. Jerk. Your camera. You made a short joke? Your camera is like oh. is, is, is not framed properly. <laughs> 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 then we're going to check out our tips and tricks and software picks. All of this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Okay. <laughs> This week's community feedback comes from Richard. And if you want to send in your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact and send us an email or join our forum at tuxdigital.com slash forum. You can also find us on Discord. If you want to hang out, game with the community, or just chat about Linux, go to tuxdigital.com slash Discord. Richard writes us to say, Hi, Jill, Ryan, and Michael. I wanted to offer some feedback on the discussion of open source alternatives to OpenAI's GPT chat in episode 317. The concept of open source as applied to LLMs, which are large language models, and other machine learning models is a bit more complex than for conventional software. The Floss community may need to do a bit of rethinking about how licensing will apply to these new tools, similar to how the AGPL came along in response to use of code over a network and the SAAS model. You have at least three components, the training data, the code specificity, the structure of the model into which to feed the training data. Also separately, the code with which one to perform uh, inference with the trained model, front ends, et cetera, and the model weights once trained, each of which could in theory be licensed completely differently. This is interesting because you've got these different components that make up what we use in ChatGPT, Google Bard, and those things to basically train these. And if all three are licensed differently, this creates a situation, I would imagine, Michael, in which someone could say, hey, we're open source, but not really be, what do we call that, open source washing that we see sometimes Open washing, yeah. 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 So there is an element that that could happen. There's also the case of like someone having source available and then calling that open source when that's not actually open source. So the term open source specifically means that you're able to see it, use it, and not be sued by using it. And source available means that you can just see it, but it's still technically proprietary. So for that context, it is possible to have a different license for each of these pieces. And it's very important to have a fully open source thing in this case. But also it's kind of like, is it a good idea to have it open source in regards to, you know, is it a safe thing to have? Because there are a lot of things that people are worried about with AI and what it could be done in the, in the, the hands of, the, of like the wrong type of person. Uh, and there's also the case of maybe there could be multiple licensing things. And there's even a interesting thing that's happening with uh, Facebook because or Meta, whatever. They have like started opening their models in the, I think it's called Llama. And they're opening their models to be accessible for people who submit and go through a process of being like vetted and that sort of thing. But you, then you get access to it, but otherwise it's not like completely open. So there's like that sort of approach. 
So I think that there is some element that we're going to have to think about, like, what's the best approach for AI? And I have no idea what that would be. I mean, maybe we should explore that in a future episode, but I kind of get what you're saying. To me, today, there is pockets of code that is in the open source community that can be used for very nefarious purposes, such as hacking and other things. Sure. So your point, though, is that AI is more dangerous than anything we've had prior. Yeah. And therefore, we need to look at it differently of how do you frame this up in yeah. an open source environment properly. Yeah. Not to say that it shouldn't be open, just in the sense of like, we have to look at it in a different perspective because it's a, it's a whole other thing. This is not some piece of code that existing. This is something that allows you to make your own code and what that entails and as well, because the licensing is very complicated, not only in the fact of like who's using it, but also in the fact of what it's being made. Because if it takes code from other places and then gives you that code output, whose code is it? Is it the code that they originally took from this piece so they didn't take the whole thing, they took bits and pieces? Or is it the, the AI's code now? Or is it the person who requested it? Like whose code is it? So there's different, there's licensing nuance all over this that I, you know, there, there's a lot to discuss and deal with in terms of like, not only just the three components that that was mentioned in the, in the feedback, but also the output of what the AI does as well. Has okay. To be. So you're saying like, yeah. Hey, Google Bard could go out there or chat GPT and give you code to solve your problem. You ask it to write you code to do X, Y, Z, right? You don't know where that code's coming from, or even if it's licensed to be open yeah. for somebody to be reutilizing that code, but they're using it because they got it from chat GPT or Google Bard. They claim and that it, it's open. The, the code that they sourced is open. At least some of them claim this. So it is possible that it's open, but you still, you don't know what license that they're using because it could be MIT open, it could be BSD license, it could be a GPL. And if it's GPL, then that's a different set of circumstances that you do have to deal with yeah. versus MIT and BSD. Interesting. So like, yeah, yeah the GPL version two and then GPL version three and, and that. That can be very complex. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, with the case of MIT and BSD, you could take open source code and do whatever you want with it, and there, you don't really have to do anything of any re requirements. There's basically just take the code and do what you want. You could even make it closed if you want with those things. Whereas GPL, you have to obey the GPL and release as GPL. But if you're taking code from this AI and you don't even know that it was released as GPL, then how do you know that you need to release it as GPL. Oh, like, simple, Michael. Kind of I just prompt the AI <laughs> that I only want an MIT licensed version of the code that it gives me, and we know how accurate it always responds Super to accurate. everything. Yes. And it would do that detail. There's a lot of times where I'm utilizing AI. In fact, in this email, I utilize AI because uh, I thought it would be kind of funny here to utilize AI to summarize the email because it was a very long email. This person uh, was very well read in yes. this category. Thank you very much for awesome. that long email, but we can't cover it on this show. Yeah, <laughs> I love the long. email, by the way. I love all the information. So I used the AI to try to condense it down into the main points. Uh, so here we go. So the, the summary of the main points is there are a number of open source projects that are working to address this issue. So there's a lot of projects that are seeing the problems like you mentioned, Michael. Nextcloud has done a pretty good job of addressing this in their own ethical AI rating system for AI integrations in Hub 4, uh, which will have a link there to their ethical AI, which I'm not sure how I feel about this because it looks more like a user-submitted rating system of just AI saying, yeah, this one's mm. good or this one's bad. I'm not sure how effective that's going to be, but I love NextCloud. I like what they do and represent 
maybe there's more to it than that, but that's what I gathered. It's from a good idea at least, yeah. but you know, having a rating system is good, but also the, who decides what is good or not is also important because yeah. if you're not having someone actually go and check the ratings, then that could be a problem too. Cause people could just, you know, abuse that system. Well, it's interesting. There was a Reddit post that was talking about chat GPT having major privacy implications for people that it, it does state right at the beginning that, Hey, anything you put in here is basically going to be read by our developers is going to be released to third party apps for them to do studies on and information. And there's major privacy concerns with that. And there was an article written on it. The number one comment, the top comment, upvoted comment on Reddit for this was, I'm so sick of all these stupid privacy people creating all of these fake aluminum hat things. Every company already has your information. It doesn't matter. This is so dumb, blah, 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 blah. Just keep using AI and things. So when you look at an ethical rating system like this, the people who are probably going to spend their time researching it already are not ignorant of privacy. Yeah. Whereas the mass population still is extraordinarily ignorant about privacy and security and why it matters. And because of that, I don't know that this thing would be very effective because unfortunately people just don't care. They're getting to that point where they think there's no option. Why care at all? I've actually and, had recently some conversations with people who have said that phrasing of they already have my data. I don't care. It's impossible to be uh, private and stuff like that. Uh, and it's people who are not like they're not necessarily super tech people, but they are oh, tech aware, you know, and it's still, you know, it's it was kind of shocking that that's how it was. And there's even cases where I was talking to someone recently and I did convince them to do it after the fact, but they didn't have uh, good passwords. So I was uh, kind of thrown off by that because I had known that person for a long time and had been talked to them about password management as an option. How dare you bring that up here, Michael? I just, I, I liked <laughs> my password of password one, two, three. I thought it's secure. Who's going to guess password is a password, you know? Because no one would do that in their right mind, of course. And, and then one, two, three, like I threw those numbers in there. <laughs> the like, numbers is know. all you need that makes it secure. Yeah, exactly. It makes it totally but secure. For those who are curious, that it's not Ryan. We're jesting. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, well, it does happen. Some, going back to the feedback, actually the Linux Foundation has an AI and data consortium. And they would be a good one to do, you know, the the paper, <laughs> the white paper on this, because it's a combination of a lot of different companies coming together, wanting the same things. Here's my real fear. My mm -hmm. fear is that ChatGPT and Google Bard and these things are so powerful and, and they, they can save a lot of time, but they're so wrong a lot of the time. So I want to make those two distinctions. Today, they're still wrong a lot, but it's very, very powerful. It getting to the point where Microsoft is integrating ChatGPT into everything, into their office suite, into their core operating system. It's basically when I said it was going to take over the search engine. I mean, I don't want to gloat, but I was right. Yeah. And so I start <laughs> to ask myself, like, hey, is Linux going to have anything? Shut up, Michael. Don't call me out. <laughs> Does Linux have anything that's going to compete in the open source world for this? Or is this another situation where it's kind of going to be one of those forced on you. It's like a Facebook privacy wise. It has a lot of wrong information, but if you don't use it, you're going to fall so far behind technologically Yes, that so you're not going to be able to compete. And so I'll, I really hope there's something that happens in the open source community that's exciting here, but it's going to take a lot of money 
and a lot of resources, and it's going to need to come from one of those evil corporations that people mm-hmm. don't like so much to be able yeah. to fund it. You're going to need. I mean, a at big least giant a company. consortium. Like if Linux Foundation yeah. had a, like a you know a grant from different companies to do something like that, that would be cool. I would love to see that sort of thing. So now we we know Ryan's biggest fear, and mine is snakes. <laughs> Yes, what? just like in Indiana Jones. <laughs> what? That's what you said your biggest fear was. Yeah. Was, oh, was, yeah. yeah. My Yours biggest fear is snakes. snakes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like poisonous snakes oh. or venomous snakes. <laughs> Not all snakes. You know, some snakes are cute. Gardener snakes are cute. Oh, my goodness. So an interesting project in the open alternative space, they go on to mention that they've come across is openassistant.io. Project is associated with large-scale artificial intelligence open network, or Leon, whose tagline is truly open AI, 100% nonprofit, 100% free. So that's interesting, and it would be great to see that integrated in NextCloud's Hub 4, which would be cool. And of course, there's still a bunch of proprietary stuff lower down in the training stack with NVIDIA's CUDA drivers and firmware that would also ideally be exciting for a full free uh, Libra ML software stack to be included there. We're going to talk about something later on that may help with that. Mm-hmm. So that was about the the insult Michael made to me earlier about my height, which by the way, I'm not small. He's just freakishly tall. So <laughs> just want to make that clear. He belongs to the circus. That's true. Aww. When we when I'm at your house and we do a show together, there's a couple of people who have commented and it's, it's yeah. not because he's short. It's just I'm tall. <laughs> yeah, he's really tall. He's Freakishly tall. Not that. It's not that bad. <laughs> he escaped from Barnum and Brothers. Yeah. And, and, we, and we brought him on this show. So uh, awesome email, Richard. You really, look, you got the conversation with us going uh, yeah. here back and forth and you got us thinking. And I love, we have people in the community who really spend their time to research and understand various subjects in ways that, you know, as a show we can't. And so bringing that information to us in our community, we appreciate it so much. So thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. So, you know, my fir- my first biggest fear, which is snakes. My second biggest fear is having a server that is not affordable and not reliable. But thankfully, we have a solution for that, and that is Linode. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Linode. So visit linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X. And see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support that's offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, not just if you have a certain tier, it's all users, to the ease of use and setup. It's clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best price to performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, and GPU instances. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers and not your infrastructure. So visit linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X. And you're gonna, when you go there, you're gonna get a $100 60-day free credit when you sign up as a member of Destination Linode. So go to linode.com slash tux. And did I mention you can get stuff from, you know, you could build a servers that is simple to use in terms of like you just piece by piece, build whatever you want. But also the app marketplace is awesome. Yeah. You just basically click a one click app and you can set up very fast all sorts of things from uh, Plesk and WordPress to Valheim and Minecraft servers. In fact, we have a Minecraft server for the community. So there's tons of cool things that you can do on Linode. So visit linode.com slash tux to get that $100 60-day free credit at linode.com slash T-U-X. So this week when I was thinking of the main topic for the show, 
the first thing I wanted to accomplish was a show topic that allowed me to say immutable as much as possible because I just like the word. I think you've nailed it then. Thank you. It's a cool <laughs> word though. Don't you it agree? It is a fun immutable? word to say. Immutable. Awesome. Immutable. immutable. It's an yeah. expensive word. And actually yes. it's funny because I had never heard of that word until these things started popping up in the Linux ecosystem. Yeah. Just immutable desktops. Lucky for me, the rumors buzzing in the community allowed me to create a show topic around immutable so I can say immutable as much as immutably possible. Oh, that's good. That's a good immutable timing. Indeed it is. <laughs> so the rumor that's out there, and I want to be very clear that it's a rumor, because if I don't, Michael will jump on my back and, and mm -hmm. do his thing like he did in the pre-show. I don't want to bring up the pre-show in the main show, but I'm going to. He was very rude, people. It I don't want to bring up the thing that I'm bringing up right now. <laughs> yes. It was unbelievable. Hey, it was, hey so, Ryan. Ryan, it's a rumor. Yes. Yes, it's a rumor for everyone. Not confirmed, it's a rumor. The rumor is that Ubuntu's latest LTS version will offer an immutable variant alongside its standard variant, and the immutable variant will be entirely snap-based. Dun-dun-dun! Yay! Now, you might be... <laughs> we said dun-dun-dun, Jill. Yay. <laughs> that's, the, that's the yay? polar opposite, Jill. <laughs> Are you saying yay to the snaps, Jill, or yay to Michael and me's performance? Oh, good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yay to your performance. Okay. And for Ubuntu, uh, even considering an immutable desktop, just like we have on Fedora okay, and perfect. other distros. I, all I heard was <laughs> to our performance, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. At that point, I, I just, we stopped listening. Yeah, we stopped point. listening at that point. We were gloating and patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> that was great. That no, was great. <laughs> now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, doesn't Ubuntu already have an immutable variant called Ubuntu Core? Yes, technically, mm -hmm. kind of. Yes. Not exactly they, the same as do. what people think it is, but yes. But Ubuntu Core, Michael, is geared towards Internet of Things. Oh, IoT. IoT, that clever little acronym there. IOT. So EOT. it's not for the desktop, it's for EOTs. And what is an example <laughs> of an EOT, Michael? So people who don't know what an EOT is. A Raspberry Pi is an EOT. You could put all sorts of stuff on that. Let's say, for example, you want to do a sensor to check your garden and see if it's got the water, uh, the right water levels. Or if you want to do a temperature sensor and that sort of thing, there's all sorts of EOTs. In fact, there's even things that you could do with like the Amazon devices or the Google devices or Apple has their own EOTs. And, you know, there's there's tons of things. Isn't there that's a the rap song about EOTs? It's E-I-E-I-A. It starts that's that, almost you know that exactly that song, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think we need to make a parody of that song and just make it make make it the EOT version. <laughs> we have router EOTs and uh -huh. switch EOTs. I like Did how you're, you're embracing. Make up a new word, by the way. Yeah, I like how we're all embracing the ridiculousness. It. I just said. I just said. We're gonna like, have like it's a normal. bunch of people walking into their company on Monday saying "eot" when they're referring to they're like, things. Hey, we're gonna deploy some eots, everybody. <laughs> you guys, you know what this is reminding me of? One D ten T. One D ten T. What's the reference? Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. It's the language thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like a language, uh, like being for translations and stuff. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's between the keyboard and the. the oh, the, the issue between the keyboard and the monitor. You're saying we're idiots, idiots. No, I don't get it. I don't get it. Apparently, there's a there's a. Uh, I've heard that is like the 
Between chair and keyboard. <laughs> yes, you know? per, that's exactly what it is. But there's we, there's oh. a, an acronym One for that. D and the Pepcat. number 10 T. Problem yeah. exists between ch- chair and keyboard. Oh, okay, gotcha. But instead of saying idiot, <laughs> one D, ten T. It does remind you of oh, idiot. Oh, wow. Yeah, now you get it. I, I, I said it. <laughs> wow. Do you know what the saddest thing about that is that neither one of us got the idiot <laughs> reference? Yeah, if I had seen it written does down. Does that make us idiots because no, we don't because get the idiot reference? If you, because that's the whole thing about seeing it written down. If we saw it written down, it would have been fine. Yeah, you know? yeah. You saw it written down. It's like very clear written exactly. down. It's Michael, right. can 1D, you uh, 10 can I edit that part out so it don't sound ridiculous? Yeah. No, can you just do a fancy <laughs> animation that has it spelled out right there? So <laughs> yes. other so other idiots like us know what we're talking about. Yeah, right. that, back 100%. in the eighties when you're you know building computers, that was like <laughs> I'm gonna have it like sh- I'm gonna said. have it like show across the screen and then like have like a big explosion or something happen or yeah. You know, or or maybe like that it's gonna be, be highlighted with some electric effects. Or I'm gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna make it very clear <laughs> what it is to people. I like, I like how that. you did, you hadn't heard it before. <laughs> like that. I've heard it, but I've never heard anyone say it. You know, I've yeah. seen it written down, but I've never heard anyone say. What it I like oh, is okay. the fact that Michael did not want to look like an idiot, an idiot. So he said, "No, it's this language model thing that Dude, does." I thought it was because there is some, there is like a language thing that has ten in it. Oh my gosh, you're the and biggest eot I've ever heard. You're a you're an eot. How dare you? How <laughs> yeah. how dare you try to call me out on my ridiculous? The worst part about this is I could have edited that part out where I didn't look stupid. And, now but you then can. you brought it back up That's, again. And why I, do you I, think I brought it? I back don't want to edit it now because it's There's too much. No way. All right, let's move on to the immutable OS. Thanks, bro. Uh, <laughs> We're so such, you're such a good friend to me. What is an immutable OS? So number one, it's read only. The primary characteristics of immutable OS is that the running system cannot be directly modified by its users or applications. Thus right. the immutable part being read only. Atomic updates. Updates are applied atomically, meaning they're successfully applied at all areas, uh, not or not at all. So you either have the atomic update apply to everything, all your updates work and go through, or it just rolls entirely back. It's like the enti- instead of like a piece by piece, the entire system is updated all at once. Yep. It's predictable because the operating system doesn't change. Its behavior is predictable across all different types of devices. And you've got isolated applications that are isolated or containerized from each other usually through containerization, but not always. And this ensures that the changes by the applications don't affect other core applications or the system itself. You can save previous versions. So the previous version of the system is always kept around just in case you need to roll back or go back in time. And it's more developer-friendly in certain ways because you can keep multiple versions of your tools. So if you need that older version of a tool and then you need the newer version too and you want them both, you can keep them independent from each other and unaffected by the base system or changes that I would like to go system. back in time and use that previous version of this episode so I can remove the 1D 10T Unfortunately, <laughs> DL is not immutable, you know. Oh, yes. We got to work <laughs> on that. Read we we got to figure that out. See if we can Yeah. Make it. <laughs> Yeah, you got a 110DT. It. It's 1D 10T. <laughs> you didn't you didn't get it right. Come on. Try again. <laughs> Michael, you're the EOT here. Don't you be Whoa. telling me what no, we no, no, do. No, 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 no. You, you're, you're such an EOT. You didn't even get the the EOT reference and stuff. <laughs> it's so PebCap. <laughs> what, Jill? PebCap. It's a uh, problem exists between chair and keyboard. 
what is wrong with you guys today? You know, why, why are we throwing all of these random acronyms out there? Man. <laughs> you started it, Ryan, with eons. <laughs> I mean, technically, I started it, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. I am sorry. Michael Michael what? <laughs> Michael's such an eon. I you want my credit. credit. That. I want credit for my ridiculous acronym that no one ever says. I love it. Yeah. Because I enjoy nonsense. Can we get know? an EOT shirt in our marketplace, please? Yes. That's great. We we'll also have like a spe- like a phonetic spelling underneath it. It's like yes. parentheses EOT, you know? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Fedora Silver Blue is a very popular mutable desktop that offers all the above features and leverages RPM OS tree, which is a hybrid image packaging system. And it combines the LibOS tree and LibDNF to provide atomic and safe upgrades with the RPM layering system. So a lot of fancy words to say all of that stuff we said about being immutable and read-only. That's how it's done. Yeah, exactly. And the applications that it uses are flat packs, which makes sense because those are mostly containerized and toolbox for development easily create OCI containers, which are fully integrated in your host system, enabling seamless usage of GUI and CLI tools. And of course, in this Fedora Silver Blue, you get the GNOME desktop. And like all immutable OSs, Silver Blue is installed read-only image, and any changes are made on a separate layer. This makes it difficult for attackers to modify the operating system files. It also makes it easier to roll back. So when you look at this, it's like, why aren't we all using an immutable operating Mm -hmm. system? And by all, I specifically mean, especially Michael, who your biggest complaint is, hey, I have an application. That application can't change. So I don't do updates. Therefore, I'm a security nightmare. Why don't not, you use that's an not immutable? Okay, for, for people who <laughs> remember, for when Ryan says stuff about me sometimes, it is made up. He just makes things up. <laughs> this is partly one of those. Um, partly. Partly. <laughs> some of it's true. Some of it's not true. But I, I do updates, just not as much as you probably should. But also, it's not what all, all my machines. What version of Fedora were you on when you came to my house? Which was just three weeks ago. What version okay. of Fedora were you on? So for reference to people is that Fedora 38 is the latest version of Fedora. That laptop has Fedora 38 on it. Now, but what version did it have? Oh, when, when you I came first over? got there? Uh, 35. <laughs> 35. 35. 35. That's like so, two years. <laughs> when Michael tells you I make up stories, remember, he's just being an EOT and no, doesn't oh, want to admit wow. the truth. No, he's being an EOT because he's ignoring the other computer that I have actually I haven't updated either. Let's move on. So <laughs> There's also, Michael, you're like, hey, I'm not going to use Silver Blue because it uses GNOME Desktop. No, that's that's not the issue because there's also Fedora Kinoite, which there is a go. KDE Plasma yeah. version of the Immutable Desktop from Fedora. The reason I don't use the Immutable thing is because some of the applications I need to use are not available as flat packs and don't run properly in the Immutable thing. So if everything I needed to use was a flat pack, I would see no reason not to use the Immutable options. But unfortunately, some of the things that I need to use do require uh, more higher level permissions than flat packs can offer. Yeah. Always an excuse with you. Always. Yes. An no, always. No. Always an excuse because <laughs> that's what EODs do. No flat pack or snap for DaVinci Resolve yet. So. <laughs> yeah. But wait, there's also CoreOS. This is this immutable thing is becoming confusing. We have CoreOS two. It's not made for the traditional desktop. So I guess let's. Well, these are all Fedora-related things as well. That's not even talking yeah. about the other immutable options. Like the Core OS is not, not. It's it's more of like a workstation type of. Why does cont- Fedora need eighty 
different versions. I may have exaggerated by 76, <laughs> but why do they need 80 different immutable? Well, I mean, you obviously need, if you can't stop it, you can't just stop at 76. You got to get, you know, go up to 80. But um, the reason is they have different purposes. I mean, obviously the difference between Fedora Kino White and Fedora Gnome or Fedora Silver Blue is the Gnome versus KDE Plasma. So those are big differences. And the, you wouldn't be able to do an immutable system and have two different DE options. You wouldn't be able to switch back and forth. It, that would oh, yeah. kind of defeat the point of immutable. So if you're going to do an immutable system and you want to offer a desktop that's not the typical you know, GNOME or the typical Plasma, then you need to have multiple options in that sense. And I think that's like the best way because when you're doing immutable, one of the benefits of developers is that the, the maintainers for the distros have to do less because they don't have to make sure that every configuration, every tweak or everything that you could possibly do as a tinkerer could mess up the system because they, the system that you have is the system they have because it's not changeable. So there's even benefits to doing it on the maintainer side. So I think ultimately in the long run, everything will be immutable but it will be, I don't know how long it's going to take to get to that point, but I think that that's the best approach eventually. Now, well, right now, it, there's, there's, I mean. Because yeah. the reduced flexibility. Now, think about Jill's use case. Jill customizes everything and then uses rat poison for fun, for instance, <laughs> as example, as a desktop Okay, that's true. Well, we could have a rat poison version of Fedora, Fedora rat poison. Yeah, yeah. Fedora rat poison. But Not you know, good you, there are Fedora, some drawbacks but, you know. to this immutable thing. You've got the reduced flexibility so users can't just modify system files or customize. Like you said, right now I could go from GNOME to KDE and install that myself and switch back and forth. But an immutable silver blue, if I decide I don't like GNOME now, I want to go to KDE, I can't. I have to reinstall my whole OS, in this case using Kinonite. Or if I want to use XFCE, I can't, right? Entirely can't because there I don't is know no if they version have an, of XFCE. I don't think they have. I don't think they have an XFCE version for Fedora, but they do. They are building a budgie version, so that's yeah. cool. Uh, but there also could be other uh, versions as well. And I think you got a good point about the flexibility. I wasn't thinking about that because once I have my system set up, I'm just I just leave it alone. And these at this point, I kind of just stick to the defaults of most of the defaults. Now, if I couldn't oh, change, welcome to my side of the bridge. Now, not, okay, <laughs> n no, not all defaults. I don't. If there's certain things that you, the defaults are nice, and certain things the defaults are not nice. So, like the KDE Plasma's defaults in Fedora are better than the regular Plasma defaults, and the same thing with Kubuntu. They have good defaults, and I'm okay with using those defaults. And, however, if I was in a situation where I couldn't change even the basics of the configuration of the DE. That could be a problem for me because I want to have custom shortcuts for certain applications and certain features that I'd want. If I couldn't change that, that would be somewhat problematic. So I, I could see like there would be some issues there. So if there was like I'm sure a you layer could change system. shortcuts and stuff, although I haven't tried. I didn't actually try that when I was playing with Silverblue this week, but I'm sure you could change shortcuts. I'm just not sure you could change desktop environments. If you could change the basic level of configuration, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, and I could probably get away with that. It would be perfect for certain situations. Like we have, you know, your computer for the setup for doing the show. This would be a great example of, hey, we don't want things to change. We want stuff to yeah. stay the same. This would be great for Immutable. Now, Jill, in Jill's case, where you want a desktop that you can customize and play with different things, test different DEs, test all the applications review on the show, 
probably not the best yeah, environment the best. Well, for okay. a containerized counterpoint. Jill, what if you could have a bunch of different immutable options and then play with them at any time and then have like the underlying core being swap outable? Because if you can swap the entire system, in theory, you could swap the entire image with another image and still have your data, maybe. This is true. That's kind of a cool one. Yeah. I mean, and I've actually thought about what if, you know, my favorite X window managers are containerized, like, um, you know, next step, after step. Uh, window maker rat poison that would be interesting ha- having a containerized desktop and then having the containerized apps on top of them <laughs> that'd be cool okay we need to talk yeah. to some developers and see if it's possible to create a fedora or an open or an ubuntu base level thing that doesn't include the de and then you have another read-only layer of the de that sits on top and you just transition that out and if yeah. you could do that or you could just run a vm you know in I mean, yeah, you can do that, but that's not the same thing as containerization. That's the yeah, slightly, that's, that's a, almost the same thing, but slightly different thing. And what I'm thinking is like being able to like at any point in time, just take one piece and replace it with another and have a whole other experience. Interesting. Because yeah. that would be the safest way. Because always people talk about like, you know, distro hopping, but I want to use this, this different dis- desktop environment. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Reddit and forums and stuff talk about how they install different desktop environments. And that's not necessarily the best thing to do because some of them have conflicts with others. And, you know, it gets kind of messy in that situation. But hmm. if you could just take a containerized desktop environment and swap it in and out, like that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah, you could just go to the login manager and window maker, for instance, and it's just a container that you open up. It's interesting. <laughs> so other drawbacks, you know, you've got limited compatibility with certain applications. It's That's Michael, true. you mentioned there are certain yeah. apps that you wouldn't be able to utilize storage requirements. Um, you oh, have lots yeah. of space. And Michael, you're constantly yeah. out of space. My so, idea of even doing the d- different desktop environments like that would be taking up a ton of space on top of it because of snapshots and for, for snapshots yeah. and also just because of the fact that it's all combined into one so there might be some uh, extra pieces that are duplicated in certain cases and you know, there's all sorts of stuff and for those who are curious if i have enough space on my system to do this i currently have eight gigs left oh my gosh okay well we better hurry with the show yeah, we, we should hurry with the show so An interesting thing, if all this immutable stuff is making your head spin, this may help give you some foundation. The most popular immutable OS right now that people are probably familiar with would be Chrome OS, Google's entry into the desktop market. So Chrome OS prioritizes security by utilizing that read-only operating system and sandboxes its applications and processes along with hardware-backed encryption and has verified boot system, et cetera. So this is probably one of the most popular when you talk about consumer market options out there would be Chrome OS. It utilizes the same methodology. And we know Chrome OS has a Linux kernel somewhere in there deep buried underneath all the Google crap on top of it. So I think that would be a good reference point for you. And that's one of the reasons why Chrome OS is considered so secure is because of that read-only file system that it has there. And no. you can't install hardly anything. There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> and Fedora, well, you can once you install Linux in it. Once yeah. You exactly. Once you Linux, replace it, like you, re, you basically uh, unlock the Chrome OS-ness of it. <laughs> yeah. Then you could do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Fedora Silverblue follows a similar upgrade mechanism as Chrome OS uh, via a tool called OS Tree, uh, which does the full system images are downloaded in the background 
And then when update is available and users simply boot into them once they're installed. So you'll have, that's where the space taking comes in. You'll have two versions for a period of time of yes. the system, the entire system. So you could always like AB updates and AB testing. So you can have two different versions and one is being updated while the other one is not. And if something goes wrong, it could always revert back to the other one. So yeah. lots of, it's, it's very cool and very useful, but you would need a significant amount of space. So I, at the moment I couldn't use that. Really. Now our patrons are mentioning, in fact, it's Zeb specifically mm -hmm. in our patron chat, which makes me happy Zeb. just to Yay. say, so that has been <laughs> with us for a long time. No, Zeb was the host of this show for a while. So he mentions open Sousa having options here, specifically Kalpa, Kalpa. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Kalpa and no, I don't oh. remember what this is, but OpenSUSE Kalpa and OpenSUSE Aeon, Aeon, I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that, is the Kalpa is for KDE Plasma and Aeon or Eon is for GNOME. And it's essentially like OpenSUSE's version of Fedora, Silverblue, and Kinoite. It's micro OS plus KDE plus Kalpa. Right, so microOS was OpenSUSE has had a project called microOS, which is essentially immutable desktops, and there's tons of different versions of microOS, and they had microOS GNOME and et cetera, et cetera, but they decided to rename and create these new projects specifically for the purpose in the way that Fedora Silverblue does, where it's OpenSUSE's Aeon is GNOME, OpenSUSE Kalpa is the version of KDE Plasma. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. so everyone's kind of doing the same thing. So when we go back to that original rumor, and it still is a rumor, that Ubuntu is going to create a desktop version because the, the version they have out now is meant for IoT devices, but they're going to create a desktop it's version. They're going to create a desktop version. Uh, it makes more sense that they would because everyone else is. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah when in doubt, do what everyone else does. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. Copy everyone. That's what, that's what the, <laughs> I mean, it is a good idea in general. So I'm curious to see if, if they do make it, I would be curious to see how they make it because the, the IOT or the EOT version is more stripped down so that it fits well on these kinds of devices. So it's not meant to be like a full desktop. So if they do make a full desktop of it, it'd be very interesting to see. Now we've seen people who talking about it in the rumor side saying it's confirmed, but there's not really full confirmation because they said there's going to be a desktop version of Ubuntu Core, and that could be just Ubuntu Core modified a little bit to be a desktop versus actually making a full-blown desktop rendition that the Debian-based Ubuntu has. So we'll see in a couple releases what happens. But I'll right play now, with it when it comes out because I yeah, played with Fedora Silver Blue. I didn't get a ton of time with it this week, but besides the ISO being named differently, the installer felt exactly the same. Like I had to check, no joke, that I actually loaded the right <laughs> ISO because I was like, this just seems like Fedora. It just looks like Fedora is the Fedora installer. Um, so everything was the same there. Same options, post-install to enable third-party repositories to do your user setup, all of those things. The first difference, the only time I noticed, hey, I'm in something different is when I opened the terminal and got this prompt. It said, welcome to Fedora, Silverblue. This terminal is running on the host system. You may want to try out the toolbox for a directly mutable environment that allows package installation with DNF. So you mentioned, Michael, there are certain packages you won't have available because of Flatpak, but you do have a mutable environment through toolbox in Silverblue that you could utilize to potentially install some of those applications. That's cool. Uh, so that you, can you kind need. Of That's awesome. Install them in their own separate container. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I want to play with it some more. I think there's some really interesting things, and I'm sure they've thought about workarounds and things for various packages. Flatpaks has made so much available to it nowadays that it's becoming more tempting to just use, say, I'll just use Flatpaks the entire time because most of the software I use is available as a Flatpak. It's not fully there, but it's darn close. It's close. Yeah. So ultimately, I guess the question is, Michael and Jill, should people be switching to Fedora Silverblue, OpenSUSE, MicroOS, or one of these other varieties out there? Is this something we should distro hop to? Yeah. So personally, you know, I, I think most Linux users should use a traditional desktop using apt or DNF. Or you can use a Fedora Silver Blue and still use DNF <laughs> in, in the toolbox, uh, the sandbox, yeah. yeah. And um, but this actually, you know, it just allows for greater flexibility, allows you to tinker with your desktop more, and honestly, applications run faster. <laughs> yeah. So so when when speed is an issue, uh, you you really you know want to uh, you know install those packages locally. Yeah. I think it depends yeah. on what people need to do with their systems, yeah. Exactly. You know, the immutable desktops are still a work in progress, but there's actually another company that is doing it quite well, and that is Valve with the amazing Steam Deck and their SteamOS. Yes, and that's another great example of an EOT <laughs> yes. for <laughs> yes. the Steam Deck. Because yeah. it's Internet made for the Steam Deck, and it is exclusively for the Steam Deck, and therefore EOT. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, and I've just been, after using the Steam Deck's immutable Flatpak-based Arch Linux with the Plasma desktop for over a year now, I've been using it to do show notes, to do research for the show. I, you know, I've been very impressed with how stable and e- and easy it is to use and install apps. But you're using it on the Steam Deck, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. And uh, and one of the things I actually do is I have a, a VM with a... Uh, Debian installed and one with Ubuntu installed. So when I want to use apt, I can. <laughs> and you're <laughs> and, doing and all of this time. on a ga- a gaming device. Exactly. The <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, another thing I wanted to point out is when we interviewed Mark Shuttleworth on Destination Linux episode number 322, I actually said to him that I think the immutable desktop is the future of Linux and how snaps were ahead of their time. So this announcement about a possible Ubuntu LTS snap doesn't surprise me. And it's kind of amazing that it came right after we interviewed (laughs) Mark yeah. Shuttleworth. That's, that seems to be happening to us quite a bit. Like Absolutely. we have stuff happens right after we do something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's good like this. And sometimes. Yeah. Is it a coincidence yeah. or are we that powerful? Uh, I think it's, I think it's the powerful. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Zeb has this to add about should users be using it or not in our patron room. Uh, they are not for new Linux users. They are not even for seasoned Linux user. If that user is not technically minded, simple answer no, these are the ultimate geek desktop. So it's for mm-hmm. very, very I disagree. seasoned. Users. I disagree. I think these are great for people who don't want to do any tinkering and don't want to do anything. They just want the system to run. And when they do updates, they want that update to just go behind the scenes and do everything it needs to do. They want for, the Chrome OS experience. Yes, if they want the Chrome OS experience where they don't really have to do anything, they just use the system as it is and all the stuff that they need to use is available to them in that platform. Like as a flat pack or whatever, and the speed of which it loads or whatever isn't that big of a deal to them. 
then they are perfectly capable of using that system without any issues. I think that that is a good use case. It's not going to be great for everyone, for sure. Yeah. And there's going to be certain applications that I, I can't use it because of certain applications I need. Like DaVinci Resolve is not available in these kinds of platform or plat, like flat pack stuff or anything. So I wouldn't be able to do it. But in terms of you know someone who just wants to use their system that just casually browses the internet or checks their email or, and that sort of stuff... I think it's totally fine for them. Well, the problem is, I, I would agree with you, other than the fact that the applications not being available would become an issue potentially for new users who may go in there and think Linux is. I mean, I'm not saying new powerful. users in general. I mean, and then like some Toolbox people. is cool, but there was no GUI for Toolbox. Toolbox is the terminal commands that you run to create a Toolbox environment. Once you're in that environment, then you can start using DNF and you could have multiple environments, immutable environments and things. This is very complex stuff that yes. I'm not sure a new user or even someone who's just a casual user would find really welcoming. Okay. My unless argument you is, had a technical mindset. My argument is to say that you could set up a system for someone else. Let's say it's like your grandparents or something. And yeah. all they want to do is like web browser. They can get a Firefox from the flat pack or the flat yeah. hub. They can get Thunderbird from the flat hub and use an email or they could use or use webmail and use Gmail or whatever. Like there are certain situations or use cases that you don't need to mess with it. And for those people, I think it's a good option. So, yeah. cause you don't have to worry about the updates breaking their system because it's a completely separate system that you can easily revert if you need to. And I think that's a really cool approach to those types of users. Now, for most other users, probably not. I think Here's I think the, that it becomes more complicated when you start trying to mess with stuff that's not beyond the simplistic uh, basics. Here's the other problem, and if anybody's going to overcome this, it might be Ubuntu here, which is Zeb was mentioning issues in OpenSUSE Culpa with drivers being able to install NVIDIA drivers and oh. get their oh, NVIDIA yeah, card that to would work. Be a problem. I didn't even think about the driver problem. Now... Ubuntu has been one of the companies that's willing to kind of, they've got a partnerships or at least a, some type of partnership with NVIDIA and kind yeah, of get something. away with shipping their proprietary drivers. But most distros stay away from that entirely and make the user kind of do it, which creates a problem because install video drivers, you're going to have to change the system files and to change the system files okay. immutable isn't possible. So I'm going to retract what I'm saying a little bit. I still think it's true. If they have the perfect amount of hardware configuration and compatibility and they only want basic stuff and they just and they just want it to There's update automatically and all that yeah. stuff, then yes, it's great. It's you know what you remind people. me of right now, Michael, is an EOT. Yeah. You know what's funny is that when you asked the question earlier, like, should people use this? And I was and I wanted to say it as a joke, but I don't believe it at all, which is like, yeah, you're an EOT if you don't. But <laughs> but actually you, you might be an EOT if you do i'm not saying that either definitely not oh, okay <laughs> if All you right. don't if you don't know what kind of limitations there are yeah if you you might be running into some issues but if you know what they are and or the someone who's using it doesn't need a lot of configuration and doesn't a lot of need to changes or anything like that then i think it's good but otherwise maybe not i think we'll get mm -hmm. there i think this is still yeah, very much absolutely. in the early stages I, I, obviously there's an interest here from developers from the distro creators to have these options available. And if the community is interested in them, go test them out in a testing environment. You can just put them in a VM and those things, and then you don't have to worry about using it on your main machine. But I think that's fascinating. I like some of the cool things. When I compare it again to Chrome OS, there's some really cool ideas there. The containerization, the rollback capabilities, the security that you get, 
but there's obviously some limitations like with drivers and things that need to be overcome. So we'll see, but hopefully now you understand a little more about the immutable operating systems. And I know a lot of people are very passionate about them out there who are certainly going to write us after this episode and give us lots of information of why. I think all the thing is that they're going to say is yes, we agree with you people. We agree. Yeah. That would That's be all the they're right going to say. That's all the comments we're going to get is you nailed it right on the head. Perfect uh, coverage every time, every of immutable time. OS. Yes. Yeah. So don't be an EOT and use password one, two, three as your password. Use a complex password. And to set complex passwords, you need a password manager. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by the greatest password manager, Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash TUX. A password manager as software allows you a peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you with the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, even automatically fill them in for you on the form so you don't have to. You can access your data across many types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even on the command line. You got a mutable OS, it's fine. You can still use Bitwarden there as well. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for absolutely free, but for $10 a year, not per month, not per week, not quarterly, just a year, $10 a year, you're going to get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with Ubiq2F Duo, well, health reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, priority customer support, less than a dollar per month. Get Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X. Let them know we sent you. And thanks again for Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. It's about that time in the show where it's time for everyone to rise. There you go, Ryan. I'm very tall, Michael. Okay. Like six, eight, 10, 12. I'm 5'12. I'm 5'1 five, five, and a half. There you go. All right. So, for those who are not uh, aware of this, the Rise is the name of the Risk Five or a software ecosystem project, which is a collaborative effort led by industry leaders and the Linux Foundation with a mission to accelerate the development of open source software for the Risk Five architecture. So, what they want to do is accelerate the development of open source software for Risk Five raise the quality of RISC-V platform software implementations and push the RISC-V software ecosystem forward and align ecosystem partners' efforts. So basically, this is the concept of taking this architecture and not only just having you know the effort put on the hardware side, but also have an effort on the software side to make it more viable to use RISC-V architecture hardware. So the reason I mentioned earlier that the comment Richard gave us would relate to one of the stories later in the show is because of this, because RISC-V, for those who don't know, is a free and open source instruction set architecture. It's designed to be very efficient and flexible, and it kind of would replace the x86 architecture out there if it was able to take off or at least complement the x86 architecture out there. And the Linux Foundation's initiative aims to promote RISC-V in a variety of applications, cloud computing, network embedded systems, and of course, AI, of course, could be part of that. So you would run... And of course, EOTs. EOTs. You got to have EOTs in there somewhere. Absolutely. So normally when people create these kind of groups and clubs and things, it can either be really powerful group of folks or it can be more, I don't know, just... uh, 
hey, we got a bunch of random people together and you, you see, you see these people who are attached and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's more suggestive than anything. Uh, but the partners are pretty big here. Like you've yes. got Google, you've got Intel, Imagination Technologies, MediaTek, NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. What's, what's going on over there, NVIDIA? Does someone want to let us know it works for NVIDIA? Like NVIDIA's- sometimes NVIDIA is doing cool things that like... Sometimes. How does yeah. this... I mean, how, what changed well, they use NVIDIA? Risk We're curious. <laughs> By the way, NVIDIA... <laughs> if you want to allow people to, you know, have immutable operating systems grow faster, maybe you could open source your video drivers and we wouldn't yeah, have just an this idea. problem yes. no, just to begin with. That. Yeah, just a thought. Like if you could be like AMD and Intel there. Uh, Qualcomm, Red Hat, Samsung, Sci-5, and Ventana Microsystems. Mm-hmm. So those are all the companies that have partners that have come together so far to kind of push Risk Five. And this is very exciting, I think, for a lot of people who are very hopeful that we'll have open hardware architecture in the future. This is really cool to see all these partners involved in this because it doesn't seem like a very risky situation then. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I am very excited about Rise... Got the facepalm, yeah. <laughs> so the reason I was so excited about Rise, I've been using... Risk hardware for years. I had my deck alpha, I have my sun spark machines, and I just I I knew that risk was the, the future. And now it's finally coming to fruition having low cost risk systems that don't cost twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> and they they their performance is incredible compared to to how much power they take, they need. So mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. efficient. And they're very good at, at tasks which involve like rendering animation for and AI for specific pipelines. The RISC chip is really good for that. And we need more applications on RISC V, the open source version of RISC. We need more applications developed for these systems cuz these this is the future. I, it really is the the future of computing is the risk. It's really interesting. We talk about on hardware addicts some of the changes Intel's making on their upcoming processors, of course x86 architecture, but the uphill battle they're all facing from AMD and Intel to compete with what Apple's doing with the ARM and the Apple Silicon because yes. of the battery life, the energy efficiency, the GPU power alone is insane. It's yes. literally insane. It's so good. And I know a lot of people hate that, that it is, but, you know, we can't change the fact that it is as good as it is. So we need something to compete with that. I think Intel needs something to compete with that. Mm-hmm. I think AMD needs something to compete with that. And they're trying to do big little architecture changes and other things with x86 to make it more energy efficient and more powerful. But they really haven't Put anything out there that has uh, been able to compete, but we'll see in their next generation yeah. if they'll have that here. So it I agree like with Risk you. Five would it's be a good important. option to switch to. For these it would companies. be very important, potentially, definitely some ARM-based stuff. But you know what cracked me up, Michael, is Jill reminded me of MKBHD or Marquise Brownlee's videos. Oh, you know yeah. how in the comments when he gets a new device, he's like. The device hasn't even come out yet, and he starts the video with, "So I've been playing with this for a month," and yeah. Jill. Jill's talking about already using Risk Five when most people are just talking about the theory 
of utilizing yeah, exactly. a wrist yeah. device. It just yeah. had that moment. It reminded uh, we, me. Of uh, we should have just immediately both said, "Of course you do, Jill." <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it in my head. Yeah, yeah, I definitely thought it in my head. So I think it's really awesome that you're already kind of playing with that. And there are a few options out there for people who want to try Risk Five. A few hardware options available. Pine sixty four um, is one of them. Pine sixty four. <laughs> so Dave Patterson, a professor of electric engineering computer science at University of California, Berkeley. I knew this one would speak to you, Jill. There, mm-hmm. California. The Linux Foundation's initi- initiative is a major step forward for the Risk Five ecosystem. And Patterson is one of the inventors of the RISC-V instruction set architecture there. So they're excited about this. And Michael Barr, the chief operating system or chief operating officer of Sci-5, a leading RISC-V chip design company, said that the Linux Foundation initiative is a vote of confidence in the RISC-V ecosystem. And Sci-5 is one of the companies that's working with the Linux Foundation on this initiative. So hopefully this helps make RISC-V more of a reality here in the near future. Yeah, it sounds very promising, and I hope it does happen because, yeah. you know, it sounds like a really good alternative for these companies and also just an alternative because we've been using x86 for a long time, and we also knew that there was a bottleneck that x86 was going to have, and we're kind of close to it. It's time yeah. to rise. It's time to rise. Time to rise, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jill, take us into the gaming section here and let us know what kind of game we're looking at this week. Cool. So the game this week is one where you play as a really cute retro arcade style robot. The game is called Lost Bits. Cute. And That's a it's good It's really name. cute. Yeah, it's adorable. I think Ryan has Adorbs. lost a lot of bits. <laughs> yes. You're such an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> a 1D10T. No, I'm sorry. Not again. No, let's not go. I'm sorry. We got that reference, Ryan. We both got that reference that time. No. Yay. So, <laughs> so Lost Bits is a free 2.5D retro platformer where you join M1LO, the robot, on his quest for the great Lagoom. His name is Milo, Ryan. That's yeah. What, see, his I, name I, is I Milo. That. That's <laughs> like those vanity plates that people have, you know, yes. and they put the M1L0. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's so funny that that's a theme. <laughs> For the show today. <laughs> that works out perfectly with this. <laughs> yes, it does. So you 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 explore a sunken battleship, grapple through a construction site, and fight the computer's operating system in this short but wonderful sweet game. It must be must running be, Windows. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say it must be Windows eleven. <laughs> yeah. And there's uh, four areas to explore. There's over an hour of gameplay and upgrades and unlockable abilities. And yes, it's free. <laughs> so I would hope so with only four areas to explore. Yeah. <laughs> 99 cents are free, something. Yeah. Like no, it, it's it's an amazing game for being free. I actually love the Chiptunes soundtrack and how it really integrates seamlessly nice. with the 16-bit visuals. It's really nice. The level designs are clever. The art di- direction and graphics are absolutely top-notch. And... One thing that makes this game so unique is the combination of 2D and 3D graphics, such as when you acquire a new weapon, like a gun, Um, when you're in the game, it switches to 3D visuals and keeps the same 16-bit art style. It it was really fascinating on how how good it did that. 
and how unique that is. Yeah. And um, there are actually two games on Steam with the name Lost Bits. This is the one that is lowercase Lost Bits. So don't get lost downloading the wrong bits. Mm. <laughs> nice. Don't don't be an eot. Yeah. Don't be an eot, people. <laughs> or one D ten T. No. <laughs> Also, for those who are curious, uh, chiptune is a type of genre that I like. It's uh, yes. it's like combination of EDM meets like MIDI sounds from games of like you know eighties and stuff. Yeah, what, people what manipulate their N sixty fours and their old Sega systems and create sound on them. It's it's yeah, really thanks, amazing. Bro. <laughs> so this game works beautifully on Linux and on the Steam Deck. And once again, it is free for you to download in the Steam Store. Nice. Our software spotlight this week is please run that. I mean it. That's the actual name is please that's run that. That's the name that. of it is please run that. Yeah. Yes. This software, I demand, I absolutely demand Michael installs this on his machine immediately. What does this do? What does this do, Ryan? Well, it's a tool that lets a friend <laughs> remotely execute commands on your machine. No. I'm, I'm not a friend, installing this. <laughs> and I want to remotely execute commands on your machine. I'm terrified by this idea. So <laughs> I, I like that this is an option. I also like the name of it. It's like, oh, please run that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's amazing. But, it's a Python um, socket app yeah. for letting a friend execute a command on your system without even having to have an SSH server at all. A simple GUI. It has active development and works OOTB over the broadband. Out of the box. <laughs> Out of the box. <laughs> what an eot. What a an... 1D10T. <laughs> so, Michael, will you install this on your machine? Please run that. No. <laughs> it's cool that this is existing, because you could also use this as like a remote management of another system of your own. So there's there's that. But I like the way it's promoted. It's like, you know. Get a friend to install. Get a friend to do stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Michael doesn't have an immutable desktop, so this could really do some damage. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I would never do that. I would yeah. just update his system. I would, you just, would just literally update the system. Oh, that's nice. I, I can give you access for that, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm not okay. doing it anyway. So you might as well. <laughs> someone do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Someone might as well do it. A hacker actually helps you. They're so, they feel so bad for you. They're like, oh, let me just help them out. Like, oh, wow, this, this is thing. really out of date. You should update this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. You can join us right now on Discord at tuxdigital.com slash Discord. And if you want to watch this show live, you can become a patron of Destination Linux. In fact, I would say if you're not watching this show live, you might be an EOT. You might be an eot. Well, actually, I disagree because anyone who's watching this show live, thank you for watching the show. You are not an eot. You can ignore Ryan completely. But if you do want to become a patron, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash membership and get a bunch of perks, not just watching live. Yes, that's an awesome perk, but we have also a lot of other perks when you become a patron and get that membership. You can also get access to unedited versions of the show because maybe you can't watch it live, but you still want to have the experience of seeing all of the wonderful elements banter. of the show. The banter. The mistakes. The, 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 no, no, we don't make mistakes. These are oh. happy accidents. Happy little accidents. So all these great things that you could watch if you wanted to become a patron, you get access to those unedited versions of the show. 
And for those that can watch live, you also get access to the patron-only post-show, which happens every week after the show. So go sign up, become a member, tuxdigital.com slash membership. Also, if you want to get some cool swag, like we have tons of cool stuff at the Tux Digital store. There's hats, mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, coasters, all sorts of great stuff. TuxDigital.com slash store. And if you go there right now, Michael will have already released our famous limited edition EOT shirt. So go that is check 100% that not yes. true, but I will try Don't to do it. Don't be an EOT and miss the chance to get that shirt. Keep checking the store throughout the whole week. Throughout the week. You, you, you cannot yes. miss this. It's one special edition, one of a kind EOT shirt. And make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on Tux Digital. Right, Jill? Yes. Yes. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, Linux Saloon, and our newest show to keep your bodies and minds fit, fit and fueled. Everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.